Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Let's all stand together for the reading of the scripture. And while you're doing that, go ahead and turn to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Joel 2, and we're going to be in verse 28. Okay, here's what it says. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and grab a seat. You know, when uh, Peter is asked to explain the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, this is the passage that he quotes as an explanation. Long ago, there was a prophet named Joel. And Joel, by the power of God's Spirit, moved along by the Spirit of God, He saw in the future that one day, there would be a day where the Spirit of God was not just for kings, it wasn't just for designated prophets or priests, but it was for all people, all people. And and this passage really marks the season that the church is entering. All of May, we're going to place a focus on the third member of the Trinity, on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get into so many things. Uh, We're going to talk about tongues and talk about healing and self-control and the spirit of truth and all of that. But today I wanted to begin by speaking candidly with you. And I wanted to offer a little bit less of a teaching and more of a story, if you're okay with that. See, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the, you know, kind of evangelical church. And the Holy Spirit, for me, was always attached to these charismatic types. Do you know the type? The charismatic types? There's like so many in the room that they're like, what are you about to say, bro? <laughs> these charismatic types growing up that, that to me just seem so needy. They just seem so needy. It's like they weren't satisfied with just getting saved. They needed to feel something for all of life. 
And, 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 and I remember just, just thinking, man, why are you guys so needy? There was this couple that kind of encapsulated my, my angst. Uh, at the church that I grew up going to. And they, uh, they, they were uh, super charismatic. They were always having prayer nights at their house, always having worship nights. They didn't have like regular closets. They had prayer closets in their house. You know, and, they, and it was like, I remember, I remember them telling me, well, we don't really go to the church that we go to. We go to Bethel because we have a Bethel subscription and we actually, you know, we show up at this church, but we really watch this church. And I just thought, that's ridiculous. You go to this church, that's just completely ridiculous. And for many, within the church that I grew up in, many of the more supernaturally inclined, it just seemed to me that their character and their life was unproductive, but they made themselves out to be super holy, super righteous. And to be honest, I don't know if you can tell, I was very annoyed by them. But something happened to me at 13. At 13 years old, I was invited, this charismatic family that I'm speaking of, I was invited to a birthday party of one of their kids, and they had a prophetic worship band come for the 13-year-old birthday party, okay? I suppressed this memory for many, many years, but a couple years ago, it came to me, and I realized just how profound it actually was. I remember they played, you know, some pretty awful music, uh, but loudly, and so as a 13-year-old, you're excited about that. And, and, but they, when they ended, they said, all right, we're going to prophesy over you. And I was like, do you mean pray? What's this, what, prophesy? Yeah, we're going to prophesy over you. And so I was like, you know, every, all the kids kind of gather around the band, and I'm like slowly like getting as far away from like the center of that circle as possible. I'm like, don't talk to me, don't see me. But I'll never forget it. The very first guy, the first word that comes out of any of these guys' mouth, he points to me. He goes, you back there. <laughs> this is when I learned that Christians are not safe. You back there. What's your name? I'm like, Alex. <laughs> he says, God's going to use you to do incredible things in his kingdom. He's going to use you to change the world. And I remember at the time, I was like, this is so embarrassing. This is so awkward. I really wish you weren't talking to me right now. Like, stop, stop, stop. Please stop, 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 stop. But I remember going home after that and thinking about that. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Did he, I wonder where, who told him that? How does he know that? Well, I suppressed that memory for a long time because I actually didn't become a Christian for four more years. It was four years later before I really actually gave my life to Jesus. And then even after that, I really didn't think much about it. It was only until a couple years ago that it suddenly hit me. Whoa, the birthday party. I remember that. Wow. God, you've been so faithful. It's incredible. So fast forward from, from 13, four years later, I become a Christian. And I become a Christian, I don't have time to tell the whole story today, but I become a Christian through a fairly strong sense of God's voice in my life. Uh, to me, at that age, at 17, and look, it's my story, not yours, so you don't get to argue with it. I felt like I heard from God. Uh, not audibly, but I had a thought come into my being that I, have I would have never thought before. God, boom, speaking to me. And that began this relationship with God. I remember I, I came home. I, was, I had been on a mission trip at the time. I came home, and I, and I thought, well, you know, I have this voice constantly talking to me all the time, and it sounds like the stories my mom used to read me in the Bible. So I'm going to go to the Bible, and I'm going to begin to kind of just like 
parse through it. Like, what are the, I've never just even just read the gospels from cover to cover. I'm going to do it. And I've, and what, what's this guy Isaiah on about? And in the Psalms, and I remember there were stories about this guy named David. Well, I found that this voice that I was hearing inside was confirming everything that I was reading and vice versa. It was this, it was the same voice. And I began to have just these times of worship in my bedroom. I was uh, into playing guitar, and, and I would just worship for hours. You know, like, I, I went from, like, trying to, like, you know, get, finish dinner so I could go play Xbox. I was, like, finishing dinner so that I could go spend time with God. And I'd go up in my room, and I would, I would play my guitar, and the Holy Spirit would just rush into, I, I didn't have language for this, but I'd say God just would rush into the room. And it was like an instant hot water tap, just accessible at any point in time, just boom, boom. I was like on the verge of tears all the time. <laughs> my parents were like, okay, you had your dramatic phase at 16. Can we move out of it? I'm like, I'm out of it. I'm just getting touched by God right now. It was so powerful. I would spend times worshiping, and it would lead to times of just like, uh, to be, I'm, I'm going to be totally candid with you, uncontrollable hours of laughing. I would just laugh. And I, did, and I was like, it wasn't random. It was like I could feel the weight of God's love in my life to such a degree. He was undoing lies that I had believed. He was undoing sin that I'd committed, and it made me laugh. It was so good. <laughs> It was so, so powerful. I would cry. I would, I would experience God for, for hours. That was all private, and I told no one. And I'm not sure, you know, looking back, I'm not sure that I would have even identified that as like, oh, I'm encountering the Holy Spirit. I didn't have language for that. I didn't even really, I didn't think about the Holy Spirit. I didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. It was just God. How many of you guys understand God can still move, whether you have language for it, whether you understand it or not? He's not bound by your understanding, which is just such a beautiful thing. Because in public, here's the thing. I began going to a church and then eventually working for a church, and they would say things like this. We're charismatic with a seatbelt. Ever heard that? <laughs> yeah, we're a charismatic church, but with a seatbelt. I always wonder, well, who is that seatbelt or what is that seatbelt that can control God so well? See, I was trained at this church to be suspect, to be skeptical, to even scorn some of the more exotic uh, um, experiences of God. There were all kinds of fears in this church. There was fears of excess. There was fears of anti-intellectualism, which has often come with kind of more charismatic streams. There was fears of like, what will people think? Like, we're trying to win a city here. What will Portland think if we are doing weird stuff in here? You know, plus, this was also the, the era of the rise of Bethel. Like, elephant in the room. Like, I remember when I was my freshman year of college, I had a friend of mine who was like, dude, I'm going to BSSM. I'm like, you're doing what? He's like, I'm going to the supernatural school of ministry. I'm like, that sounds nuts. And I remember he told me stories. He's like, yeah, dude, I was like, I was, at night, I was levitating. God lifted my body off the ground, and I was levitating. I'm like, dude, I'm good with just being saved. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we're going to, like, we're going to go to uh, graves of, like, dead revivalists, and we're going to just lay on them and just soak up all their glory. I'm like, yeah, I'm good with just, like, John. <laughs> I like reading John. I heard about the glory cloud, and I just thought, ridiculous. 
Now, I want to pause in my story, and I want to say that when you quench the Spirit, and by that I mean when you decide what the Spirit is allowed to do or not do in your life, you will shrivel. It's very simple. God breathed into you life, and when you take yourself off his oxygen, you will die. And that's what happened to me. And that's what happened to my wife. We had moved from experiencing God daily to collecting Christian content about God on Sundays. You know what it led to in my life? It led to me dreading church. I won't make you raise your hands. I almost said, if you dreaded church this morning, raise your hand. It, it made me dread it. I, I was not looking forward to it. It was boring. It was uninteresting. It felt like it was filled with just it, ideas, and all my Christian life was about just uh, adopting ideas. And it, it, like, get this, I was a pastor. So at 25 years old, here's where I'm at. I'm dreaming about retirement. No joke. I remember Jake would challenge me on this. He's like, I don't think that you should ever really be retired if you're in ministry. I was like, dude, I'm going to be retired. I'm like, I get me out of this. Like, I don't want to be in the part. I remember every year that I worked at a church, I thought, how do I stop working at a church? And God would always be like, you're not allowed. But so I, I was just bored. I was just, I was dead. I had no mission. I had no vision in life. And by the grace of God, two things happened in 2015 and in 2016. The first thing that happened was I met charismatics from Oxford. Now, if you wonder, you're like, is that possible? It's possible. <laughs> there are Anglicans who are charismatic in England who were very, very impacted by John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement. And they began coming over to the United States and into our church, and they began giving away what they were given by John Wimber back in the 80s and then in the, in the 90s. So these are people, you have to understand this, educated at the highest level, smarter than I'll ever be. And they're going, yeah, yeah, all of the, all that, it's fine. What you really, do you really have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? And I was like, I don't. And they began leading gatherings at our church. It was so powerful. You would, they would just say, they would just pray, come Holy Spirit, and just wait. And you'd just hear people begin to cry over here, and the Holy Spirit would be touching somebody over there. And, so, and there would be a word of knowledge about healing that needed to happen here, and it was right. And we're praying for healing, and people are getting healed. And just all of this. You know what happened? Church began to come alive. I remember looking at my wife saying, I cannot wait to go. I can't wait to get there. Because what if he shows up again? What if he moves again? What's he going to do today? Second thing that happened is I met Andoni. And when I met Andoni, within the first meeting, when I met Andoni and Lorna, I remember him being like, yeah, both my wife and I, we went to BSSM. And I was like, oh. God, this is going to take a lot of work. I'm going to have to work with this guy for a long time to really help him. <laughs> do you remember? I gave you a book. I was like, let's do a book club together. And Andoni just is like shredded the whole thing. And I was like, Oh, my word, he's right. <laughs> and I realized for the next two years that I was the one who needed discipling. I was the one who had such lack. See, what had happened was I got to the point where I was confronted with his fullness. He was so full. He simply had more than me. He had a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and I was jealous. I was jealous. And I was also kind of like, you know, I used to have this. When I was 17, 18, 19 years old, before I got paid to be in ministry, I used to have this. And I got desperate. 
I got desperate for more. I was like, God, I want more of you. I want real relationship with you. I'm not content to just live on Christian content. I want a relationship with you. And I finally got to the place where I said this, who am I to determine what you are allowed to do? I want you enough to look silly for it. I want you enough to look like a fool for it. And the journey began. I mean, I, I'm telling you, it's been about eight years now, six, uh, seven, eight years. Um, prophecy, God's voice in my life and in the lives of other people. Faith increasing. The activity of God, actually being able to look and say, I can see God acting here, 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 here. Testimonies. I remember I'd be like, I used to think testimonies were just what people would be like, yeah, 15 years ago I got saved. How many of you guys understand? That's a wonderful testimony. I'm talking about weekly testimonies. I'm talking about God's activity constantly in your life. I'm talking, I began to just see him moving. We'd get together with, I was a youth pastor at the time, we'd get together with my youth team, be like, what's he up to now? He's up to this, he's up to this, he's up to this. Oh, good, he's on the move. We're recognizing it. Beautiful, beautiful stuff was happening. My wife and I would look forward to gathering with believers. Anything could happen. And here's what I want to say at the very outset of this Pentecost season. You were not designed to live in theory. You were designed to live in power. See, we were not designed to have a theory about life. We were designed to experience life. You weren't designed to have a theory about parents loving children. You were designed to experience the love of a parent. You were designed to experience what it's like to love a child. We weren't designed as humans to have a theory about marriage being a good thing. Yeah, I hold this theory that marriage is good. No, no, no. You were designed to experience that marriage is a good thing. And what I'm saying is it's the same with God. You were not designed to have a theory about the Holy Spirit, to have a theory about God's activity. You were designed to experience the power of God. Thank you. We're going to pass that energy over here. You know, Eugene Peterson, he once wrote this. He says, the Bible isn't just true. It is true. It's also livable. Think about that. The Bible isn't just true, it's livable. What I'm saying is that the relationship, when you read the scriptures, what is the scripture? Scriptures are examples. When you read the examples of of people having relationship with God, you can have the same sort of relationship as well today. You weren't designed to have a theory about God. You were designed to experience life with God. And this is what Joel is prophesying. He's saying one day, there's, I'm seeing it. In the last days, there's going to be a whole generation of people, a whole world of people who will experience me and who will usher in an era where anyone who wants me can have me. God wants real experience with you. And if you've settled for less, repent. Change your mind. Right now, because I'm just saying this, there are people in the room right now, you have one belief about what is possible in your life and what God wants to do, and it's getting confronted right now through what I'm saying. Do not harden your heart. Repent of what you've believed in the past and say, okay, I want it then. If it's for me, I want it. If it's from you, I want it. Healing. 
confronting the demonic world, prophecy, signs, wonders, self-control, love. It's supposed to be lived, not just thought about. It's supposed to be crunchy. It's supposed to be real. And the Holy Spirit is to be the constant presence of God's voice and direction and power in your life. Think about this. What were the disciples after three years of Jesus' discipleship After witnessing his death and resurrection, what were they? They were holed up in a room out of fear and shrinking men. What were they when the Spirit came on them? They turned the world upside down. And as Peter said to the crowd, after quoting Joel, this is for you and everyone who wants it. He quotes Joel, he says, in the last days the Holy Spirit will be poured out and this is for you and for all who are far off. You can have a whole life of God experience. And when the Holy Spirit is in your life, not just as a theological theory that there is a third person of the Trinity, but as a reality, you will find that the Holy Spirit has a mission for your life. The Holy Spirit has a mission. He has a purpose for your life. You know, Jesus said this to inaugurate his own mission in the book of Luke. It says this, He went into Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Why is the Spirit given? What is the Spirit there to do? Mission. Mission. There's a reason for the Holy Spirit that goes beyond your personal comfort. It's for action. It's for real stuff. Like, think about this. The Holy Spirit was given, and then the book of Acts happens. Action. Good news. Freedom. Sight. Favor. All of those words have become trite, and you you know them too well. But I want to say this. The Holy Spirit wasn't given so that people would fall on the ground. Or flop around. Or scream. The Holy Spirit wasn't given so that you could have the chills in worship. That's not why the Holy Spirit was given. The Holy Spirit was given to bring freedom and vision and favor. Okay? But, but, (laughs) sometimes good news, freedom, vision, the goodness of God are so foreign and so powerful and so opposite the hell on earth that many people are living in that physical things happen when they encounter the spirit that's bringing freedom and the spirit that's bringing uh, uh, liberation from oppression and good, the good news of the gospel and the, and the revelation of a good father. And so they laugh for hours under the absurd weight of love. They scream and they fall down under the power of God. They cry Why are they crying? Because their whole internal world is being healed. And what would have taken 15 years of intentional therapy in 15 minutes is solved. And there's no words for it. 
there's just tears. I want you to see that God doesn't want you to live in theory. He wants to encounter you in reality and give you a mission that will change the world around you. You're like, I came in without vision. Okay, well, you just got some vision. The spirit of the Lord is for anyone. What does the spirit of the Lord do? It's on me to proclaim good news, freedom for captives, sight, vision for people who have none. There is no pain like the pain of not having vision. Now, if you are going to be the kind of person that is filled with the Spirit, and then you give the Spirit away, if that's the kind of person that you're going to be, then you're going to need courage. It's going to, it's going to require courage. Think about Peter. Peter is this man who is so weak that he went back to fishing after three years of personally witnessing all that the Gospels entail. So you have to understand this. Peter is a man. He witnessed everything that you've just read about. He was there for. And after three years of it, he still goes back to his old life. He goes from that to this moment that we're about to, read, about to read. He says this to the most powerful men after being arrested by them. Then Peter, notice this, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, now look at this courage, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Next slide. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Okay, he's countering the entire like, understanding of the Jewish scriptures and world at this point. When they saw the what? Okay, specifically this group. When they saw the what? Thank you. Of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Where does courage come from? Godly courage. Does it come from ramping yourself up and getting hyped up and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna confront these guys? No, it doesn't come from that. It comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Boom, courage. This is the message this morning. It's, it's, it's actually so simple. God wants to fill you with his spirit so that you conquer evil. Okay, you guys are making me work so hard. God wants to fill you with his spirit so that you conquer evil, personally and culturally. That's his intention. And the burden on my heart this whole week has been for weak-kneed Christians who have been intimidated by the enemy, who have become content to never conquer evil of any kind and still call themselves Christians. Guys, we have a powerless church in our culture, not because of theological lack. We have more access to theological information than any culture ever. We have a powerless church because we haven't feared God and we haven't given control to the Holy Spirit. 
There are entire movements within Christendom today that take their cues on whether they are right on the right path or not by looking at whether a confused culture approves of them. Our culture's confused. Why are you looking for approval from confused people with no vision? And I ask God, like, why is this? Like, when your primary benefit, when you were raised in a church, or when you come to be a part of a church, and the primary benefit of belonging to the church is the community you get from it, and then all your life you've been trained to be acutely aware of not upsetting unbelievers... Don't upset him. Be nice. Jesus was nice. You are destined to be weak because the focus in your life has been incorrect. And I really saw God like strengthening you today, like girding you up by personalizing your faith. How many of you understand we're a part of a body? Like you look around, we don't just get like... (laughs) We don't just say, hey, I'll send a sermon out to you so you can podcast it on Sunday. No, we come together and we worship together and we pray together and we receive the body and blood of Christ together. We're part of a body. But the health of the body is dependent on the members individually being healthy themselves. I have seen so many, particularly young people, confused into inaction into having weak knees, into living in theory land or the theory world because they only viewed the church as a place to find community and they never made faith and trust in the Holy Spirit and relationship with God their own. So here's what happens. If you are here and the only reason you're in church is because you like the community, guess what? You're gonna get another community at your job or in your dorm or with your extended family. And the instant that that community counters this one, you're going to be blown wherever the wind is strongest. I think God is moving you from a corporate identity and he's initiating you. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a bar mitzvah. It's like an initiation. You're getting initiated into a personal life of action with him. A personal life of relationship with God. So do you have that? Do you have vision for your life? You and God. Because at the end of the day, you're not, your church isn't going to stand before him. You're going to stand before him. Did he know you? Did you walk with him? Do you have mission? Are you on the same mission as the Holy Spirit? Could you say, yep, the Holy Spirit on, is on me, and I am on the same mission as Jesus? Or do you have another mission? Do you, this morning, as I'm speaking... Do you feel like the disciples holed up in their room, shrinking? I have really good news. If you do, the Holy Spirit is perfect for you. It's why he came. The same thing he did with the disciples, he's going to do today with you. I really get the sense God is putting vision back into his people. And that's the Holy Spirit's job, to give you vision. It's to give you a new mission. It's to call you. Do you have a call in your life? You know, Laura, she, she taught on Peter's reinstatement last Sunday. You know, Peter denies Christ, which is great comfort to me. <laughs> he denies Christ. And then Jesus reinstates him. He initiates him again, right? 
But this is a guy, Peter, who spent three years with Jesus. He goes back to his old life. And I just have to imagine that Jesus had a better discipleship curriculum than Saints Hill. I just have to imagine that. And I would be seriously bummed and maybe even personally offended to see someone that I invested three years into walk away from their destiny, okay? But then Peter, what does he do? He gets reinitiated. He becomes the leader of the church. He eventually dies for Christ. How does that happen? Something happened in Acts chapter two. He received the Holy Spirit and it changed his whole world, his whole life. The Holy Spirit has a mission, and you are the person for the job. I want to speak to those of you who are going, yeah, you don't know me. No. You are the person for the job. The Holy Spirit has a mission, and you are the person for the job. So, how do we get more of the Holy Spirit? Or maybe a better question. I, could just, I can already feel it in the room. How does the Holy Spirit get more of you? <laughs> You're welcome, Ari. I've seen in my own life that ideas about God are easy to adopt because they rarely exert control over my life. Just another idea. Oh, I could see, you know, that how that it makes sense. Okay, sure, I'll believe that. But the power of God, the Holy Spirit imposes. It requires. It demands your whole life. And something I've heard around our church is this. I like experiencing the peaceful presence of God in worship, but all that prophecy stuff, weird. All that tongue stuff, I mean, come on, really? You do not get to pick and choose what you will or will not allow the Holy Spirit to do in your life. He is God. You do not get to have his comfort without his mission. You don't get to separate the two. This is not a theological like issue of brown cessationism or continuism at this point. It's a surrender to God issue. Does God have the right to do things in your life that do not make sense to your mortal mind? Does he have the right to do it? Can God do things that you don't understand? If you want a life of purpose and vision, power in love. You must come to the place where you say, you have so become the prize of my life that I want whatever you do, even if it offends my earthly patterns of thinking and my earthly friends and the people who I want to respect me. I want you. So church, there are two paths from this whole series. I'll give you like spoiler alert. There are two paths from this series. One path is to allow the enemy of God to tell you who you are. And if you do that and you shrink, you will live a life of coping and not conquering. You will become like a Christian diplomat, always aware of what the other people in the room might think. And that path is a safe path. You will not be critiqued, you will always have plausible deniability. Well, those are, that's those Christians over there. Oh, <laughs> jeez, yeah, they're crazy. But you will never see God do anything through your life. There is another path. There is another path. And it is the path of action. It's the path of bravery and courage. 
that speaks the truth to people and looks for signs and wonders, supernatural things done by the Holy Spirit because Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe. So it's a path that says, I would rather speak the truth and do signs and wonders through my life and be misunderstood because I would rather people be mad at me or misunderstand me than people live in hell on earth and eventually end up in hell. And this is a path of dependence. And it is lonely at times. And it comes with cultural critique and the loss of friendships and people cutting you off and out of, your, out of their life. That has been the cost that I have had to pay here. That has been the cost that some of families who have called this church home have had to pay in this town. But this is the greatest life there is. And this is the only path for the believer. It's the path of, of the dove on the shoulder. You know, when Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water and it says that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And there's another line that follows it that we sometimes miss. It says, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and there it remained. And I wonder if through all of life, Jesus lived his life as though he had the dove on his shoulder. You know, imagine if you had a dove on your shoulder, you walk into a room, and you wanted the dove to stay there. How would you move? Every step with the dove in mind. Are we going here? Oh, we're not going over there. Okay, are we going over here? Oh, not over there. Okay, we're going over here. You were designed to live with the dove on your shoulder. You were designed to live with the dove on your shoulder, to live a life where you constantly were checking in. Are we going over here? Am I saying this? I'm not saying that. Okay, self-control. Thank you for that self-control, by the way. Are we going over here? Okay, we're going here, and I'm saying this. Encourage. God is going to initiate you He is going to fill you with confidence because he is going to move you beyond theories about him and into real life experience. Let's go ahead and stand. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.